Good evening. You're listening to the Parliament of Rooks podcast, episode 46, with one stone. Yes, it's true, I am a young man, but I'm old enough to kill. I don't want to kill nobody, but I must if you so will. And if I raise my hand in question, you just say that I'm a fool. Because I got the gall to ask you, can you maybe change the rules? Can you stand and call me upstart? Ask what answer can I find? I ain't saying I'm a genius. Two plus two is on my mind. Two plus two is on my mind. Well, I know it's Welcome back, everyone, to the Parliament of Rose podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Lenise. And this is his wife, Melanie Lenise. Um, so first things first, you know, I want to get this out of the way. Um, you know, apologies for the uh, the couple week delay in uh, in releasing this episode. Um, you know, if you're a uh, a regular listener to this show, um, you'll know that uh, you know what we try to do when we structure this is have you know several distinct you know um, I guess narrative threads you know running through it. You know, um, on the one hand, obviously you know we're reading stories, mm-hmm. right? So you know we, we got to provide a through line, you know, to say like, okay, this is the story of Dead Man or this is the story of the Spectre. Um, but secondarily, you know, we are also kind of tracking the you know internal history with regard to DC. You like know, the context. Yeah, exactly. Right. You know, what was Carmine Infantino doing at this time? You know, what was the you know corporate structure of DC? You know, where were they? You know, <laughs> offices in New York, that type thing. Right. Who was or wasn't working there anymore? Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Who had they fired that week? Um, you know. Thirdly, you know, we like to place it into historical context. Just say, you know, what was going on, you know, politically or in the world that was informing these stories. And then, you know, kind of a, a sidebar to that then is what was going on culturally. You mm-hmm. know, what movies were playing, you know, what TV shows. Actors or and actresses. Whatever. Exactly. So with this episode, you know, as I had mentioned on, you know, the last one we recorded, um, we were going to try to be tackling the the characters, um, the hawk and the dove. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as I began doing the research, you know, for those particular characters, which ironically, you know, at this point are probably the least, you know, magical characters that, that we've addressed, um, you know, like in the 90s and stuff, it's going to get, you know, more involved, like what their mystical backgrounds are, so on and so forth. Okay. Um, but at this point, you know, when we take a look at it, they're kind of more just like cut in the heroic mold. Um, but as I started, as I say, doing the research, you know, a lot of the inputs into the creation of this, you know, were just so wide spanning in, you know, in the breadth of what I could cover that it was kind of just like an embarrassment of riches, you know, like I what couldn't, do you mean? like I couldn't decide which path to focus on, you know, like on the one hand, like, you know, on our last episode, I'd said that was the last issue we were putting out before the Kinney takeover, uh-huh. you know, so I could have approached it from that. Like, okay, what was, you know, this new, you know, corporate um, structure, you know, doing such that necessitated the, the introduction of new characters, you know, it could have gone that way. Uh-huh. Um, the creators of this, um, the artist, uh, Steve Ditko, um, the writer, Steve Skeets, and the editor, Dick Giordano, are all, you know, um, alumni of the, the company I'd mentioned a couple times, Charlton Comics. Right. Right. So we haven't even, you know, tackled that yet on this show, like the introduction of, you know, all these this Charlton talent into DC. Okay. You know, so I could have focused on that. Um, you know, Ditko himself, I mean, I could spend, you know, hours talking about this guy and, and, you know, everything going on with him, both, you know, politically and, you know, in his personal life. And then, you know, finally, not the least of which, you know, is the cultural phenomena, you know, that informs these characters, right? You know, mm-hmm. Hawk and Dove, right? Those very names are, you know, like evocative of, you know, like... War the, and peace. Right. Well, yeah. And as I say, the political, you know, standpoints, 
concerning the Vietnam War. Right. You know, well, so any one of these topics, like I say, could probably fill the first hour of our show, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, if I want to be, you know, perfectly frank, you know, probably the, the last of those topics, you know, Vietnam is probably the one that, you know, unfortunately, you know, for anybody who's, you know, tuning into our show for keen political analysis, you know, <laughs> is uh, is the area that, you know, I, I you know, probably know the, the least about, you know. Yeah, me too. I, I, I couldn't really articulate what would, you know, why we were even there. Yeah, like, you know, I'm not the most politically minded person or whatever, you yeah, know, so, so, but, um, you know, at a high level, you know, Vietnam, obviously, probably, you know, one of the most significant events of the 20th century. Um, but, you know, me too. Like I say, you know, I've never fully understood, you know, the, the motivations of the U.S. for their involvement or, you know, the, the, the politics that went into it or, you know, the, the, the cultural reactions. Like, it's just before my time and it just seems like, you know, like so complex, I guess, and like, you know, like so foreign, I guess, to me, <laughs> you know, and that's not that's not to diminish, you know, what was going on. It's just, you know, right. it's just me being frank saying, you know, like it's too complex an idea you know for me to wrap my mind around I guess yeah um I I know it was a big deal I know the whole nation was in turmoil but like I can't um I can't fully grasp what was happening yeah I mean so like what I think you know at a very high level is that basically it's um if you want to kind of draw you know um you know a through line like sort of connect the dots of, of American history um like we have talked before in the context of comic books or whatever how there was that sort of like red scare thing going on, mm-hmm. you know, the, the sort of like America post World War II gripped by a, a fear of communism. So, you know, from what I remember from like, you know, like you know, history or whatever growing up, um, Vietnam was kind of, you know, a natural outgrowth of that. You know, there was this theory called the uh, the domino theory of communism basically you know if we let russia you know have influence in, in certain countries or whatever you know that's going to be the first step to you know communism basically spreading like dominoes you know across the world okay and uh, you know and in the early 60s you know america was particularly like you know primed to that mindset because a lot of the stuff that had gone on during kennedy's administration you know the the bay of pigs and you know um the Cuban Missile Crisis, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Russia was trying to put, you know, missiles, you know, off the coast of Cuba or whatever. You know, that's right on America's doorstep. Um, so when Russia started going, you know, and allying themselves, I guess, you know, with the uh, the North Vietnamese, you know, army, the you know, the Viet Cong or what have you. Right? And, and once again, you know, forgive me if, uh, you know, it, they're not the same thing or whatever, if they're two distinct factions. Again, you know, my historical grasp of these things is, is, mm, is very, very slight. Yeah. But uh, but in any case, like I say, you know, that sort of, you know, gave pause to America and said, oh, this is something, you know, that we need to prevent. You know, I believe that the, the French were the first over there, you know, as part of like the uh, the Indochine War or something like that, you know. And then I believe, you know, we were there initially as, as you know, allies to them. Um, but then, you know, I, I think we were attacked at some point, you know, I seem to recall like the, the Gulf of Tonkin. You know, we had a ship over there or something and then the, uh, the North Vietnamese had, you know, um, uh, launch torpedoes or something at it, you know, mm-hmm. and then that's basically the the tipping point that said, oh, now we need to, you know, really get involved, you know. Then we had boots on the ground. Exactly. Well, exactly. Right. You know, we sort of like you know, conven- yeah. deployment of conventional forces, so on and so forth. Um, this probably would have been like mid '60s. I want to say like you know '64, '65, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. And uh, and from that point, you know, it it began, you know, escalating. You know, they sent more and more troops over. Um, you know, obviously the draft, the draft. was in, was in full force or whatever. Yeah. And uh, and for the most part, you know, I believe you know the American public, you know, um, I don't know necessarily fully supported or whatever, but didn't have the degree of protest that they would later have. You know, until 
uh, right around the time that we're covering, you know, like early 1968, mm-hmm. you know, because that sort of corresponds with, uh, I guess, the shift in public opinion um, as the result of a, a major offensive, you know, launched by the uh, uh, North Vietnamese. The um, And you, you've probably heard it before, the Tet Offensive. I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah. So basically, up until that point, you know, the narrative that was being spun out by the government was, oh, everything's going great over there. We're winning. We're pushing back the North Vietnamese. Tet Offensive was a series of, like, surprise attacks by the North Vietnamese in South Vietnam against a bunch of, like, you know, American command and control centers. And Wow. Yeah, and because, as you say, you know, boots on the ground, you know, who was also on the ground was the media, right? And so all uh-huh. this was being, you know, broadcast right back to the States, and all of a sudden, you know, the, uh, you know, Johnny Q public kind of just woke up and said, wait a minute, you know, what the heck are we doing here? Yeah, and that, that seems kind of normal, you know, like as you become more informed about what's going on, especially after seeing the images, I can see the public opinion turning. Yeah, and and no place, you know, would that be more, you know, pointed, I guess, you know, and and as we would know from, like, you know, all the the documentaries we've seen or whatever, you know, sort of stereotypical imagery you would see in movies of that time or whatever, you know, would be on, you know, the college campuses. Basically, Mm -hmm. the sort of young, you know, intellectuals or whatever whose, whose peers, you know, basically were over there fighting and who, you know, on a daily basis were being exposed to sort of like, you know, new political ideology or whatever. Yes, this was sort of ground zero, you know, for for the protests going on, Mm -hmm. you know, against the government and against this war. Now, all that being said, you're like, okay, well, how does this, you know, apply to, you know, comic books being being made for children, you know? And so the answer to that is, you know, and we've talked about this a little bit, you know, in the past with regard to, you know, the artists that we're going to be, you know, spotlighting a little bit tonight, you know, Steve Ditko, Sometimes those comics, you know, weren't being geared toward children. You know, we had already seen that some of the things that he was writing, you know, the um, Doctor Strange or like, you know, Spider-Man, biggest audience for that, you know, were in fact those college age, you know, kids, Mm -hmm. right? You know, because they were relating, I guess, to the, uh, you know, sort of Eastern mysticism that was informing Doctor Strange or the sort of, (laughs) you know, like swirly colors or whatever. They're like, oh, you know, Steve Ditko is, you know, one of us, man. He's like, you know, he's turned on when... uh, (laughs) You know, and the real irony of the fact is that Steve Ditko was none of those things, right? You know, as we talked about a little bit when uh, when we had Vanessa on, right, back in uh, was episode 32, right? If you say so. Yeah. Because <laughs> well, it was right after Halloween, right? We did the 31 to correspond to Halloween. I think 32 was that next week when the Doctor Strange movie came out, uh-huh. right? So we had talked about um, the, uh, the political leanings, you know, of Steve Ditko, you know, mm-hmm. during that episode with Vanessa, how he was sort of like, you know, the, uh, you know, Ayn Randian, you know, objectivist, you know, sort mm-hmm. of moral absolutism type yep. thing, you know. So, like I say, the real irony is that, you know, he's writing these stories for a very, very liberal audience, you know, when he himself is sort of like, you know, uber conservative. Yep. Um, for the uh, for the benefit of everyone uh, listening to this, you know, I should uh, pull back the curtain a little bit and say that, you know, in, in the last couple of weeks, you know, in preparation for this episode is, you know, we were doing some research. Uh, Melanie and I sat down. And, uh, and watched, you know, that uh, that documentary that Vanessa recommended to us. Right, with the British interviewer guy? Yeah, yeah, Jonathan Ross, right, uh, In Search of Steve Ditko, which, uh, really good documentary. The uh, the whole thing is actually uh, hosted up on YouTube, you know, in a couple parts. You know, it's maybe about an hour or so, and uh, and what it is, basically, is Jonathan Ross, along with uh, Neil Gaiman, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, trying to uh, track down, you know, the current whereabouts of, of Steve Ditko and, and meet him. Um, but in doing so, you know, he gave a very good, you know, sort of comprehensive overview of the the entire career, you know, of Ditko. Um, when we had sat down with Vanessa, I think we brought it up to basically about the uh, the point where, um, you know, he would have been leaving Marvel, you know, because we were doing it in the context of Doctor Strange. Uh-huh. Um, but then he had that sort of like falling out, I guess, with uh, with Stan Lee, 
you know, over... I think it was... Um, Ross was speculating that it, you know, had to do with the identity of the Green Goblin, right? Stan Lee kind of wanted it to be... Um, what was his name? I, I don't know Spider-Man stuff that much, but basically Norman Osborn, I think, the um, the the father of Spider-Man's best friend, right? Harry Osborn, you mm-hmm. know, like yeah. yeah, the Willem Dafoe guy, I guess, from the movies. And whereas Ditko, you know, given his sort of you know like right is right and wrong is wrong or whatever, just wanted to be you know a bad guy, somebody we'd never met before, sort of like dude Some no on the gray st- area. Yeah, exactly, or whatever, just like dude on the street, and and you know like you know evil can be anyone, you know. And so I guess, as I say, you know, no one knows for certain, but that's what Jonathan Ross was speculating. You know, was the uh, the sort of breakdown between mm-hmm. Ditko and Lee that uh, that caused him to leave Marvel. Um, so what we're gonna do, you know, for this episode is basically pick it up from that point. You know, say that after, you know, Ditko left Marvel over, you know, whatever, um, he'd done some, uh, you know, work for a bunch of different companies, um, a lot of whom we've actually mentioned on the show before. Uh, he did some stuff for uh, Warren Comics, right? I mentioned the sort of oversized tabloid, um, you know, horror mags, uh-huh. you know, eerie and creepy and whatever. Right. He'd done some stories there. Um, Tower Comics, which uh, we, I think, I think we might have mentioned once or twice here, but they had a big thing in the 60s called the, uh, the Thunder Agents. Um, and Ditko worked a little bit on that. Um, believe it or not, DC, you know, he'd done a story here and there, um, not, nothing too, too big. Um, but in Strange Adventures, you know, when it was more of an anthology title, um, Ditko had contributed stuff there. Mm-hmm. Um, but probably the uh, the biggest spot, and uh, and as I say, you know, we could use this episode to go into a whole, you know, background of Charlton Comics, but I think we're going to reserve that until we um, you know, do a spotlight on Dick Giordano. Um, like okay. I say, probably the biggest spot that Ditko, you know, would have been working during this period would have been Charlton. Um, like I say, you know, at a later date, we'll go deeper into, you know, the history of Charlton. Um, but suffice to say, you know, similar to a lot of other, uh, comic companies, you know, they, uh, they spend a wide variety of genres. You know, they put out war comics, they put out, you know, like Westerns, mm-hmm. you know, crime comics, so on and so forth. Um, but probably the most, you know, fondly remembered output of, uh, of Charlton comics around this time uh, would have been their superhero line. Mm-hmm. Um, it was headed up, you know, by a name you've heard before, Dick Giordano. Yep. Um, and uh, and some of the characters that came out of there, um, like I say, you know, DC would actually later go and buy them and incorporate them into their universe. Um, but uh, names like uh, the Blue Beetle, uh, Captain Atom, uh, the Question, probably names that don't mean a lot to you. Nope, never heard of any of them. You've never heard of any of them, but here's kind of a, a unique type thing, is that, uh, you know, the writer, Alan Moore, yeah. Um, so Alan Moore, when he was working for DC, asked them because they'd recently, you know, purchased them whether he could do, you know, a series centered around those characters. DC said, "No, we actually kind of have future plans or whatever. But why don't you use the base templates of those characters and and you know and you know you can do that." So what he did was Watchmen. So Captain Atom is basically Doctor Manhattan. Um, Blue Beetle is basically Night Owl, and the Question, you know, is basically Rorschach. Mm. Which, if you think about it, right, so Steve Ditko, you know, with that sort of, like, moral absolutism, like, right is right, wrong is wrong, yeah, put out, you know, was writing this character, you know, the question, which was later adapted in, into Rorschach. So, yeah, you can mm-hmm. see the, the sort of, like, um, step-by-step progression or whatever that, that, you know, develops these characters. In fact, you know, from the uh, documentary we watched, there was that other character, uh, Mr. A. Yes. Which is probably the most, you know, pure distillation of the, the Ditko-esque ethic, right? You know, the sort of, like, division between, you know, what is good, what is evil. You mean, you know, the, the whole black and white and how they, there's, like, the complete absence of any kind of, like, moral gray area. Moral gray area, exactly. Right? As a matter of fact, you know, we'll hold off, I guess, you know, until we get into this in the story or whatever. But in a certain sense, you know, um, 
Hawk and the Dove that we're mm. going to take a look at tonight, yeah. you know, has that, you know, violence versus peace thing or whatever. But that, there's actually a third character that, you know, will be introduced who kind of is a little bit like that or whatever. Their father is kind of this middle ground that, like, divides the two. And, you know, and I'll give you a little bit of a, a preview. He's actually a judge. So, right. Oh. <laughs> exactly. So, but, uh, but we'll see all that. Um, so I guess that's a perfect point then to talk about, you know, uh, Ditko coming over to DC, right? So I mentioned he had done uh, a couple stories in, in Strange Adventures or whatever, but um, it wasn't until, you know, right around, like I say, you know, when we're covering, you know, early 60s that he actually came over to DC, you know, with, uh, you know, character-based work. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, he debuted his, uh, his first character, which uh, I said... You know, I've mentioned it here, and I said we're not going to delve too, too deep into it or whatever. Okay. Um, it was a character called uh, The Creeper, which, um, you know, I don't know how to describe it. He's almost like a good guy version of the Joker, if you will, all right? He is a... Yeah, yeah, I know, right? He's a, um, he's like a newsman, I, th- I think like a TV newsman, a guy named Jack Ryder, who, I, I forget, I read this story like years and years ago, but somehow I think he winds up like shot by gangsters or whatever, and he sort of like, yeah, stumbles his way to um, this scientist's house who has invented this little like disc, which I, I think is meant to be, you know, for military use that allows you to affect the skies, okay? Huh. Like, so you, you know, you hold this disc or whatever and you say, I'm going to look like a soldier and you look like a soldier. And then you're like, I'm going to look like a civilian. You look like a civilian. I want one. You want <laughs> <laughs> So Jack Ryder, I guess, was at a, um, like, uh, I guess, costume party or whatever or something. And he was dressed like a wild man, kind of like he was like, his old skin was like yellow and he had this like crazy fur coat thing or whatever. So the scientist, you know, I guess like in order to save his life, you know, starts operating on Jack while still in costume, right? He's still wearing this, like, this crazy getup or whatever. Awesome. He implants this disc, you know, in his wound, and then the scientist's other invention is this, like, serum, which is, like, an immediate, like, healing factor type thing. Uh-huh. And so he immediately saves him. Um, but in doing so, I guess a part of this chemical kind of drives Jack crazy. You know, the chemical was unstable or something oh, like okay. that. So now here's the conceit is that because he's got this disc in there, whenever he thinks, I want to turn back to Jack Ryder, he immediately, his costume's gone. He's like a normal dude. And at that point, he can function like a, a, a normal guy, you know, go to his job, so and so forth. Whenever that's he, still crazy? No, no, no. That's the thing. He's only crazy when he goes back to the original, you know, um, appearance of the, the costume that he was wearing. So hmm. when he thinks, I'm going to become the Creeper, he... T- turns to look like the creeper and then goes crazy and so he goes out and like fights crime but he's all like ha 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 like and that's why i say like joker type thing. Oh, <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah so this wackadoodle idea whatever was uh, you know steve ditko's first creation for dc um it appeared in uh, showcase magazine uh-huh. right uh, number 73 from uh, uh, march of 1968 it was a um joint creation with a, uh, a writer named uh, don siegel and uh, so ditko okay once again i'm going back to that documentary um, in addition to being like you know very strongly conservative political, um, you know what's the other thing that uh, you remember about uh, Ditko? We never saw him. You're right, exactly, because he's like a bit of a, re- a recluse. A bit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. You know he, you know, never gave interviews. Right. You know he would just like sort of hole up in his studio, or whatever, produce his work. You know, but never took part in any sort of company functions, like mm-hmm. when they would do, you know, like that. And so. In this magazine, in Showcase, you know, in the back, instead of a letters column, oftentimes they would have like a, uh, a meet the creators type thing. Yeah. Um, so in this one, you know, the page, if you will, is probably about 90%, you know, um, background on Don Siegel, um, probably about, you know, 8%, you know, just introduction. And then the other 2% is, uh, you know, a quote from Steve Ditko, which says, 
I never talk about myself. My work is me. I do my best. And if I like it, I hope someone else likes it too. (laughs) (laughs) That is meet the creator. (laughs) And so, um, but I guess, you know, they had high hopes, I guess, for the the coming of Ditko. um, Because even in this very magazine, you know, as you, you know, flip through the story, you get to the last page and there is a, a little half page ad that we have seen before. Which says, you know, like lightning, Ditko strikes again, and uh, and that's basically, you know, the heralding of his second creation for DC, you know, and the one that we're going to be covering tonight, uh, the Hawk and the Dove, mm-hmm. right? So that uh, debuted just a couple issues later, also in Showcase um, from June of 1968. Um, it too was a, uh, yeah, I want to say co-creation, but you know, as we go through this a little bit, you'll see that it was actually almost a, a collaborative effort. Um, there's a, a few different individuals who, you know, when talking about the uh, the creation of, you know, the Hawk and the Dove, you know, kind of give their versions, almost like a Rashomon type thing. You know, you sit down with each of these people and they have a different, like, you know, idea mm-hmm. of how it came to be. Um, you know, first and foremost is, uh, you know, Carmine Infantino himself. Um, as I say, you know, after, you know, Kinney came in, he was sort of, you know, booted upstairs to become the uh, the editorial director mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, sort of tasked to, you know, like remake the company, you know, come up with everything. Right. Um, so, you know, so his quote, you know, regarding, you know, what he was trying to accomplish, you know, basically was, uh, that was my promise over there, just to try. I didn't care what the hell they were about. Just try them all. Keep trying. That's the only way you're going to find winners. Uh, sometimes uh, Infantino thought of a new concept himself, uh, then let others run with it. Uh, this was the way that Hawk and Dove was born, according to Infantino. He said, I had Steve Ditko come in there and I threw the idea at him. I called one the Hawk and the other the Dove. Um, but, uh, but the writer, you know, for the story that we're going to look at, uh, a guy by the name of Steve Skeets, you mm-hmm. know, also late of Charlton Comics, has a uh, slightly different take on it. Um, he says that Hawk and Dove was actually created by a committee consisting of editorial director Carmine Infantino, mm-hmm. uh, editor Dick Giordano, artist Steve Ditko, and myself. Uh, part of the concept was to appeal directly to the counterculture. Um, Dick Giordano, obviously part of this committee, mm-hmm. uh, has his own, you know, addition to the story. Uh, he says that uh, Steve Ditko already had the rough plot worked out. Uh, Steve Skeets then worked from that plot and came up with a script. Uh, the showcase issue was okay because Steve basically followed what Ditko wanted him to do, um, but from that point, it was terrible for them both. And uh, and the reason... <laughs> that does not bode well. <laughs> no, no, that it was so terrible. Uh, going back to Skeets, um, you know, who... Um, I'm going to show you a little picture of Steve Skeets, you know, and you see that... Uh, very much, uh, you know, a very hit. clean cut. Yeah, yeah. No, no, just for the benefit <laughs> of everybody, not at all. Sort of long hair and sort of like John Lennon mustache type yeah, thing. Only missing a beard. Yeah, yeah, kind of a very like liberal look. Uh, he said, you know, Steve Skeet says that Infantino, Dick Giordano, and Ditka were basically dyed in the wool conservatives. Uh, as soon as the script left my hands, large sections of it would get changed and would be all but totally re- rewritten, not just by Dick, but by Steve, you know, that being Ditko uh-huh. uh, as well. Um, Dick Giordano, you know, adds that uh, Ditko would pretty much eliminate whatever was in Steve's script that he didn't feel belonged there. Um, (laughs) Skeets was a (laughs) left-wing radical uh, compared to Ditko. Uh, Skeets goes on, he says, uh, one of the rules um, was that you couldn't question authority. Um, So every time I had the Dove, you know, who's going to be the liberal of the the pair, uh, say something against the U.S. government, uh, Dick would have to change that to some sort of nebulous day. Uh, To me, it comes off as terribly written with a lot of pronouns without any nouns they're referring back to. Um, anything brave I would have the dove do would immediately get chopped out, uh, mainly because the other three, you know, uh, Carmine, Dick, and, and, and Steve, uh-huh. uh, equated the term dove with wimp. Um, the, oh. Yeah, yeah. So uh, he says the first book I wrote a full script, um, but then Ditko redid it, extending some scenes, cutting out others. Uh, so then I had to go back and redo it Marvel style, which is, you know, 
um, plot than than art than dialogue, basically that order. Okay. Um, even though I'd already done the script, uh, it was sort of a hassle. Uh, the second story, you know, for Hawk and Dove number one, you know, they're spun off into their own magazine. Uh, we did Marvel stuff from the start, and then they changed so much of the plot that I told them to just write it themselves for the next one. Yeah, I <laughs> so, guess. I mean, like, because what was the point of him writing it if right, they were going to change it? <laughs> exactly. So kind of funny, you know, as we'll see as we get into the story, you know, sort of diametrically opposed viewpoints, you know, in the characters, but so too on the creative team. You know, it's actually kind of funny. Hmm. So uh, just to, to wrap up the uh, the Ditko story, so his time at DC, you know, for this go-round, he'll actually uh, make a, a subsequent reappearance, you know, in the, in the mid-70s. Um, but this time, didn't really even stay that long. You know, the Creeper, you know, the first character we talked about, was spun out into his own magazine. Um, but uh, Ditko was only with it for uh, six issues. By uh, early 69, uh, he was off that. Hawk and the Dove, um, they spun that into its own series. And uh, Ditko only stayed with that for, for two issues. By Hawk and the Dove number two, I think they actually turned it over to, uh, I want to say Gil Kane for a time, you know, was, mm-hmm. was doing the art on it. Um, but, uh, but you know, there may have been, you know, certain, you know, uh, political, you know, conflict or whatever that caused him to leave the title. But I think more importantly, it was actually a health-related thing. Um, looking at some interviews with uh, Dick Giordano, apparently... Uh, Ditko had suffered from uh, tuberculosis as a, as a child, mm. and I guess um, I don't know you know the ins and outs of tuberculosis or whatever. But apparently um, he was just in remission because at this point I guess he had a, a subsequent um, relapse or mm. whatever. You know, just it flared up again, and uh, I guess was preventing him from from doing any work. Um, taking a look, you know, at his uh, his credits. I uh, I think you know once again very private individuals and none of this is documented that it must have gone on for several years because it looks like the uh, the next credits he have aren't even until 1973. Oh wow! So yeah, kind of like a uh, four year gap there, I guess. Well, he he focused on his health, um, but all of that you know is in our future. Uh, as I say, we are going to take a look at the uh, the beginning of you know Ditko's DC reign here. You know, with uh, Hawk and the Dove uh, from Showcase number 75. Um, that, as I say, is from June 68. Um, let's see. From a uh, credit perspective, uh, we've already mentioned, you know, um, script, quote unquote, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> Steve Skeets, but, you know, mostly, you know. Heavily edited, right, <laughs> by, by Steve Ditko, uh, who does his own pencils and inks. Uh, colors are unknown for this. Uh, letters um, by a fellow by the name of Ray Holloway. Um, whereas the cover, uh, also pencil ink by Steve Ditko, um, but letters by uh, Gaspar Saladino. Uh, so with that in mind, let us go ahead and take a look at that cover, um, which, as we see, you know, is uh, very starkly divided. You know, uh, showcase number 75, what we see is, uh, you know, basically a black background, you know, framed by the uh, the figures of our two heroes here. You know, on our left, you know, growing out of a very stern-faced young boy, you know, wearing a red sweater vest, you know, we see the... Uh, <laughs> hero that you will learn is uh, is the hawk you know he's sort of like you know gritting his teeth and just very angrily you know facing the world does look angry yeah whereas on the uh, on the right you know we have a sort of you know crew-cutted studious individual a little bow tie and a you know in a blue suit and growing out of him you know is his brother the hero the dove as uh, you know our narration says that this is a tale a tale of two brothers the hawk and the dove in this world those who seek justice often walk different paths the tough and the tame the challenger and the challenged, the hawk and the dove. <laughs> All right, so we open our cover um, before we begin our story. You know, on our uh, facing page, you know, we have a bit of a, an advertisement for a couple things going on in DC. 
Uh, Secret Six, number two, you know, E. Nelson Bridwell's, you know, uh, spy story continues on. You, uh-huh. know, you couldn't stop at one, says, uh, you know, the ad. Wait until you see number two. And then down here we got uh, Brave and the Bold, number 78, I believe, which is the last uh, non-Neil Adams drawn issue of Brave and the Bold. You're going to see it still has got almost like a Silver Age sheen on it. Yeah, it's very um, flat looking. Yeah, yeah, it's going to get uh, updated in uh uh, in very short order with a, a dead man crossover so that uh, yes that will be uh, covered on our show um, but, uh, but what's being covered in our show right now is the, uh, the tale of the hawk and the dove as uh, we begin with a, a prologue you know we see a, a protest going on here on a college campus right you know on uh, on one side we have our, our peaceniks right they're doing a little uh, you know sit in on the ground or whatever throwing uh-huh. up, throwing up the, uh, the peace sign peace pull out stop the bombing you know see all the little placards uh, whereas on the other side, you know, a group of people which uh, I think might be a little bit, uh, you know, boiled down and simplistic, like, mm. no, let up, keep up the bombing, might is right. Like, who would ever, like, oh, keep up the bombing? Yeah. <laughs> Ridiculous. Um, and in the background, we see, uh, you know, our, our two two brothers here. As, uh, you know, the more aggressive of the two says, oh, no, you don't, Don. You're not pulling me out of this one. You've been in your share of demonstrations. Now it's my turn. But Hank, says his brother, joining a counter-demonstration isn't going to accomplish anything. All you're going to do is make trouble. Uh, make trouble, he says uh, Hank, you know, as we, we zoom in on them. You and some of your college friends are the ones who are always making trouble, demonstrating against anyone who wants to support the war. Force is the only way to make them quit. Ah, oh, but Hank, says Don, a high school kid shouldn't get involved in campus affairs. Besides, you're wrong. We should compromise, or anything to make peace. Uh, being a high schooler has never stopped you from carrying a placard, has it, little brother? Says Hank. Compromise? Never. We gotta smash him. Force is the only thing they understand. So again, though, who's the them? <laughs> right? You know, like, the, I'm not sure. <laughs> right. Uh, now wait a minute. Wait a minute. Says Don. Uh, if we give in, everybody will be happy and we'll have peace. Uh, as, uh, as we turn our page, and uh, peace apparently isn't in the cards. Mm-mm. You know, we see our. Uh, you know, uh, I guess you know, protesters and counter protesters have like come to blows. They start like hitting each other. As, uh, our, With their placards. Yeah, yeah. As our narration <laughs> says that uh, Elmond University, a small town college where young men and women from all over the country come to study, to learn of life, and to debate significant issues of our day. Um, but, uh, but these people don't look like they're, you know, too interested in debate, you know, with the exception of uh, our two brothers as they're, you know, continuing on. Uh, this was to be a peaceful demonstration, says Don. You and your Neanderthal ilk have no right to... Right, says Hank. You're always talking about rights. Did it ever occur to you that maybe we have a right to show how we feel about the war? As uh, and now the cops bear down. Hey, you kids don't belong at Beat it. <laughs> mm. So, meanwhile, not far away from the university, uh, yet seemingly a world away, uh, stands the local high school. Here, students, not yet sophisticated enough to engage in significant debate, are content to participate in sporting events, in student government, and occasionally in doing their homework. Uh, <laughs> ha, ha, ha. Yeah. Somewhere between these two educational institutes, we find the Elman County Courthouse. Here, a different kind of lesson is taught. A different form of debate takes place. It is here our story begins in Chapter 1, In the Beginning. As our narration says, Crime can be vicious. But often justice can be as harsh. Witness Judge Irwin Hall, who has a reputation for giving hardened criminals just what they deserve. As uh, we see, uh, you know, our guy in front of the judge saying, What? That's the maximum sentence. You've got no call to... Mr. Dargo, says uh, Judge Hall, you know, banging down his gavel. You'll have your chance to speak later. Right now, I'll thank you not to interrupt me, or I'll hold you in contempt. Yours was no minor transgression, says the judge. The protection racket is a vicious crime that preys on the little man, the small shop owner. I thought this town was safe from organizers like you. It appears I was wrong. 
now I hope we've seen the last of your kind. Bailiff, take him away. As, uh, you know, they pull him away. He's like, my bozo, get you for this judge. You're as good as dead right now. I swear it. Oh, my God. I suddenly realized I'm on page three. I've probably read more words than, than like, you know, a foolish of everything. Like, look at the size of these word balloons. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the one on the bottom here that you're about ready to get into. It's like taking up a third of the page. <laughs> I know. Like, it's like, there's more actual, like, text than there is art, you know? So, in any case, the trial over, uh, Judge returns to his chambers uh, when, uh, who arrives, but uh, his young son, you know, Hank. Hank, I didn't expect to see you here so soon. Uh, where's Don? Ah, he stopped off to talk to some of his peacenik friends, says Hank. Boy, Dad, those creeps really make me sick. I thought college was supposed to make you smart, but these weirdies don't even have enough brains to know when they're wrong. Oh, and you think you're right then, says the judge. Well, suppose you explain to me just what it is that makes you right and them wrong. Time and again I've asked you and Don to explain your beliefs to me, but neither of you seem able to do so. As far as I can see, neither of you have thought this out. That means you're both wrong, says, uh, you know, Judge Ditko. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, As I've said before, it's not enough to repeat slogans. You have to have more reasoning behind your beliefs. As, uh, you know, now his other son Don comes in. Uh, You can't expect Hank to use reasoning, Dad. That's just not his bag. But I know where I stand and why. The gist of it is, violence only begets more violence. Nothing's ever solved by fighting. The only way things can be settled is through compromise. Oh, you're wrong, Don, says the judge. Sometimes force is necessary. However, ah, he's always wrong, says Hank. And what do you expect from a little coward like him? Coward, says Don. You're not brave enough to face the fact that violence accomplishes nothing. Fact, says Hank. That's no fact. That's an outrageous lie. You've got to make them do what's right. Simmer down now, both of you, says the judge. Sometimes it surprises me that my two sons could act so irrationally. You're always arguing, but neither of you know what you're talking about. You've got to learn. The only way to solve problems is through logic. Uh, but suddenly, one of the uh, most illogical things, you know, of all happens as the uh, the door opens and we see a hand, you know, throw in a grenade. Here you are, old man. Compliments of the boys. What? A bomb? Says uh, Don. Don't panic, says the judge. Both of you, get down behind the desk. Hurry. And he pushes his son. As a bomb is coming in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he's just trying to protect him, right? Um, but uh, but a little too little too late. You know, the bomb goes off with a, oh, you know, the explosion throws the judge to the floor. Father, says Hank. Good God, says Don. Uh, shielded by their father, the two teenagers remain unharmed while... Is he? Is he? No time for questions, says Don. Uh, go, you go get help. I'll stay here with Dad. Uh, so as Hank, you know, rushes from the room off to get help, he sees a man at the end of the corridor racing toward the exit. And he thinks, that's got to be the guy who threw the bomb. I sure wish I could take off after him, but Dad's life may depend on my getting help now. Uh, so outside the hospital, you know, we see uh, the boys, you know, running away. How'd it go, boss? Not too good. One of the kids came out of it okay. Maybe the old man did, too. If he did, though, we'll try again. But why? Says one of the other gangsters. I don't get it. Why should we bother bumping off the judge? What's in it for us? Listen, you fool, says the boss. I'm giving the orders now, and I say we owe it to Dargo to make sure this creep dies, understand? So this obviously must be Dargo, you know, the guy that the judge put away. This is his gang, and this dude's, you know, stepping up to the the new leader man role. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay, boss, okay. Uh, Meanwhile, at that very same moment, you know, we see uh, Judge Hall, you know, being uh, led away by uh, the ambulance guys. Oh, thank God he's alive, says Don. Uh, One of us has got to tell Mother, says Hank. Uh, we got to tell her, but uh, don't worry, says Don. I'll take care of it. Um, So later that night, you know, we see the whole family there, you know, gathered in the hospital room as uh, judges come back around. He's like, oh, 
was planning on taking a short vacation for my job, but this isn't quite the kind of vacation I had in mind. <laughs> well, the main thing is, you know, says his wife, uh, the doctors say you're going to be all right. Let's be thankful for that. Uh, I'm sorry, says the nurse, suddenly coming in, uh, but you have to leave now. The judge has to get his sleep. Um, so, as the visitors head off to home, we see, you know, Hank and Don lost in, the, in their own individual thoughts. You know, Hank thinking, I wonder, they've got a guard out here, but how effective is he going to be if Dargo's men try to make another attempt on Dad's life? Oh, but Don, you know, thinking the exact mm -hmm. opposite. He's like, oh, good, the police are guarding Dad, and <laughs> the bomber won't try to <laughs> dare try again. <laughs> So, the next day passes slowly for Hank and Don Hall, uh, but finally the school day ends. You know, we see, uh, I guess, the, the kids outside the school calling over, you know, <laughs> derisively to Don. Hey, Don, you going to be in the peace rally up at the university today? Uh, we thought we'd come up and throw things at you guys. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, that sounds right about your speed, says Don, uh, but as it just so happens I won't be there. Uh, come on, Don, says Hank. Yeah, we're wasting time. we got to go see Dad. Um, but shortly, you know, as they approach the hospital, wait a minute, Don, says Hank, you know, stopping short. Stay right where you are. Don't move. Huh? Says Don, what's up? That man. Who has Hank spotted? Asks our narration. Flip on quick to chapter two. Uh, continued on the second page following. You know, after the uh, full page, uh, who are they? What are they? Angel and the Ape. The, uh, the new series from E. Nelson Bridwell. Mm. Where I was telling you about this. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, supermodel and a gorilla become detectives. <laughs> That's a great idea. Um, but, uh, but our story uh, continues with chapter two, entitled, A Voice, A Voice. <laughs> um, so they come around the corner, and, you know, Hank sees a dude. He's like, that's him. That's the man who threw the bomb. What? Are, are you sure, says Don? You said you only caught a glimpse of him. Of course I'm sure, says Hank. Come on. What are you going to do? We're going to jump him. That's what we're going to do, says Hank. Are you out of your gourd, says Don, holding Hank back. We can't do that. Uh, you can't be sure he, he's the right man. we got to call the police and then move it, says Hank, trying to, you know, wrestle free. He's already, he's starting to leave already. Um, I'll, I'll tell you what, Don. We'll tail him, uh, but keep down and, and don't let him keep sight of you. Uh, okay, says Don. I'll go along with that. Uh, but if we pass the policeman, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, says Hank. Uh, so we see the two of them, you know, starting to, to trail the baddie at a distance. I love the change in the in the hawk's posture. Like, he actually kind of, like, looks like gorilla-like. Oh, yeah, in the end of it all, right? Yeah. Don keeps calling him. Um, so we see the uh, the bad guy around a corner, and, you know, the, our two brothers are peeking around. Uh, he hasn't spotted us yet. At least I don't think he has. Oh, looks like he's reached his destination, too, says Don. That old theatrical warehouse. Not a bad place to hole up when the heat's on. Oh, he's going in, says Hank. Well, then we're going to go in, too. Really? says Don. And how do you propose to do that? You just want to go up and knock on the door? Ah, knock it off, says Hank. Follow me. I think I know how we can get in. And he finds like a, uh, you know, a slightly open window. He pries it open. Oh, good. I thought I spotted an open window. Looks all clear inside. Are you coming? I shouldn't, says Don. But you are my brother, and I can't let you go in there alone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, quiet, says Hank as he, you know, gets through the window and hits the floor. I, I hear voices up somewhere ahead. Sounds like there's a whole troop of baddies in here. Nobody in this room, though. Let's cut through here. I've got a better idea, says Don, you know, trying to, like, you mm -hmm. know. <laughs> Diffuse this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's cut out the back window. Ah, <laughs> uh, come off it, <laughs> says Hank. Uh, just take it easy. we got nothing to worry about as long as we don't make any noise. Uh, the door! Catch the door! Don't let it! Oh. But the too late, you know, the, the door slams as it uh, catches the attention of all the hoods. Huh? What was that? I don't know, but you guys better go find out. Now you've done it, Don, says, uh, says Hank. you got to ruin everything, don't you? Come on, we got to get out of here. Fast. Um, but uh, no no go. You know, they, they try to, the door, he's like, It won't 
open. It's either locked or... Footsteps, says Don. Somebody's heading this way. That noise came from around here, says, you know, a bad guy coming around. It sounded like a door slamming. And they get to the door. And, oh, nice panel, actually. You know, we see, um, the, you know, Hank and Don, you know, inside the locked room. The bad guy's on the other side. And, you know, we sort of, sort of see a cross-section of the door mm-hmm. separating them. And they're trying to pry it. They're like, door won't open. It's, it must be jammed. Uh, Got to be in like that for years, probably. Like most of the other doors in this place. Uh, come on, pretty soon we're going to be spooked by our own shadows. That sound probably came from outside. Let's get back to the others. Yeah, yeah, right. As they take off, and they're like, whew. So, you know, Hank, you know, suddenly, you know, spared for the moment. Um, so they're trying to get out, and, you know, trying to jimmy. Ugh, I was afraid of this, says Hank. Uh, this other door won't open either. That's just great, says Don. Now what? Wait, a car's pulling up outside. The hoods are, are going to have visitors. Listen. Uh, so a moment later, you know, as they're listening, we hear... Max, Lefty, good, you're all here. Now listen, I paid off one of the orders at the hospital. He'll get us up to the judge's room. After that, it'll be a cinch. As, uh, you know, Hank just like, <laughs> like mm-hmm. loses, loses his mind. That's Dad they're talking about. They're planning on finishing him off. Come on, we got to break out of here now and stop him. Hold on, hold on, says Don, you know, trying to hold him back. It won't do any good by getting ourselves killed. Well, let's wait until they've left, and then we'll break out and call the police. We stand a better chance of saving Dad's life if we do it that way. Yeah, yeah, okay, says Hank, you know, we'll do it your way. Um, so the seconds pass slowly. Uh, there, that's our car, they're pulling away, says Hank. Come on, let's get out of here. Right, says Don. Here, we'll use this to pry open the door. I think it's, uh, I guess, like an old piece of metal or something. Uh, Come on, put your weight into it, will you? They say, you know, bracing it up against the door. I am, says Don, but uh, I got news for you, brother. This door isn't going to budge. Uh, the other door swings outward. Maybe if we both slam into it... So again and again, their shoulders ran the door, but oh, it's hopeless, says Don. We can't get either door open. We gotta keep trying, says Hank, just slamming mm-hmm. himself up against the door. Yeah. He's full of rage. Uh, if only there were another way out of here, says Don. Or we had some sort of super strength or power or <laughs> foreshadowing. <laughs> Knock it off, will you, says Hank. There's no time for your stupid fantasies. Can't you understand? Dad's life is at stake. We've... But suddenly, you know, as they're hitting it, we see, uh, you know, a sort of green shimmery glow, you know, fill, <laughs> fill the room. You know, as I guess the, the specter shows <laughs> Power, says a booming voice. You wish power... Then so be it. What? Says Don. <laughs> Sorry, this is ridiculous. It's <laughs> more ridiculous than the other story we read. Uh, who, who said that? Says Hank. Who's here? A strange disembodied voice, is our narration. A voice that fills the room. A voice that comes from everywhere and nowhere at the same time and holds our frustrated protagonist spellbound. Who or where I am is not for you to know. Only this shall I tell you. You have been chosen. I've heard your wish, and it shall be granted. You both shall have powers, if this is what you seek. What powers do you wish? My God, this is a verbose voice as mm-hmm. well. <laughs> well, uh, says Don. <laughs> Wait, whoever you are, says Hank, I'll tell you what kind of powers I want. I want the power to break out of here, the power to stop those creeps who are after Dad, the power to smash them, tear them apart so they'll never commit crimes again. Can you give me this? Yes, says the voice, it shall be yours. But you... He's saying to Don now, mm-hmm. is this also what you seek? No, says Don, not quite. I want to save Father, not smash criminals. Let the police handle him. And it upsets Hank. He starts, starts you know, mm-hmm. gripping his fist. He's like, oh, you numbskull. This is our chance to really work over those hoods. And you want to just throw it away? Boy, that's some kind of stupid thing I expect from you. 
Uh, but why should we resort to meaningless violence, says Don, when our main objective is to... Silence, both of you, says the voice. Here we have a hawk and a dove. So be it. Let the transformation begin. Huh? Says Don. Wait a minute. That's not... Don, look, we're changing, says Hank. As indeed, you know, we see the two of them, you know, begin... Uh, like transmogrifying, right? You know, Don's blue suit begins, you know, sort of wrapping around him, you know, for almost like a like a, a bird type costume, right? Mm-hmm. You see sort of feathers or whatever. And, uh, and same thing with Hank, you know, but his, uh, you know, I guess red sweater vest is like, you know, pulling out into these like, you know, almost like sp- yeah, spiky wings behind him or whatever. As, uh, you know, dun da 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 you know, quarter page panel. Um, they, they're in their full costumes. Look at us, says Hank. How do you like that? We've become costumed heroes. Oh, says Don, what kind of stupid costume is this? I didn't want a costume, let alone one as sickening as this get up. And so, I don't know. <laughs> it's like sickening. Look at the coloring there. He's got like, like strangely, like one yellow boot. I think that's, uh, that's not real. Um, but for the benefit of our, our listeners or whatever, just to, you know, quickly describe it. Um, basically, what we see now is our, our two brothers, you know, but in full bird regalia. You know, Hank has transformed into the hawk. You know, very sort of violent, you know, angular type costume, you know, uh-huh. infused with red. Whereas Don is a more sort of like rounded, you know, passive, you know. Scalloped lo- edges. Yeah, scalloped edges. And what would you call that? Like almost pastel blue. Yeah. You know, dove costume. All right. So we turn the page and we see, uh, you know, Don now, you know, imploring the voice saying, uh, Mister, I don't know how you did this, but I demand that you turn me back into what I was. I don't want to go through life looking like a bird. (laughs) You need not worry, says the voice. Your transformation is but temporary. Your true identity will return once your powers are no longer needed. Whenever injustice strikes, you need only speak your names, Hawk and Dove, and you shall be transformed into these high-powered identities. Ah, but also know this. The transformation will not occur if there's no injustice present. And thus, you cannot use your powers for personal gains. Powers, says Hank, you know, now as Hawk. Uh, What powers? You still haven't told us. Truly, Hawk, your impatience seems to know no bounds. Your powers are but extensions of those abilities you already possess. Whatever you could do moments ago, now in costume you can do infinitely better, with greater ease and consummate skill. But take heed, for whenever your powers are no longer needed, you will revert to your ordinary selves. And now... I've said all that need be said. Farewell. As the voice begins dissipating back into, you know, the, the green ether. Hey, wait, you, you can't just, you know, says Don. Uh, come on, says Hank. This is all we need. Now we can go save Dad. Come on. Uh, so now, says our narration, it is with ease that our protagonists break out from the room. As we see, you know, Hawk and Dove just smash down the door. Wow, says Don, that was a snap. I only hope we're not too late. Never mind with the hoping, says Hank. Uh, just get your feet moving. Let's go. Uh, so meanwhile, you know, we see our, our baddies, you know, I guess arriving at the hospital. Uh, this is as far as I'll take you, says uh, the dude. Uh, oh, no, the orderly that they mm-hmm. paid off. Yeah, The judge's room is right around the corner. Max, get a beat on that guard. We'll finish him off from here. Are they going to shoot the guard in the hospital? Wow. <laughs> All right, boss, says, uh, says Max. As, uh, as meanwhile, you know, back at the, you know, <laughs> Hawk and Dove HQ, you know, we see uh, our two brothers, you know, have busted out of the building as, uh, you know, Hawk's going barreling down the street. Hey, wait a minute, says Dove. We can't go this way. There's too many people. We might... Listen, little brother, says Hawk, you know, interrupting him. If you don't dig this route, stay behind. I don't need your help to save Dad. Not now that I have powers, 
He says, you know, jumping right out of the street, you know, and over a car. Look out, says Dove. You're going to get yourself killed. Shut up, will you, says Hawk. we got to take a shortcut if we want to make it there in time. Well, then why don't we just call the police, says, you know, Dove chasing after him. They could, whoop, he says, you know, like trying to keep up with, with uh, Hawk as he jumps into the river, I guess. He's going mm-hmm. straight for the hospital, you know, I guess, uh, you know, like taking the uh, the most direct route possible. <laughs> uh, what's bugging you, says uh, uh, Hawk, you know. You know how to swim, don't you? I do, says Don. In fact, I can outswim you now. Uh, with my increased power, I'm doing even better than ever, he says, you know, taking right to the water. Did you, uh... Did doves swim well? Is that a thing? Maybe? I don't think either birds swim. <laughs> uh, so what? Says uh, says Hank. Uh, There's nothing else you can do better than me, and we won't be in the water for much longer. You know, I guess that sort of brotherly competition. Uh, so reaching the hospital, I guess they jump out of the river. As uh, you know, Hank says, uh, oh, "We can't go in this way. It's going to take too long. And we'll have a heck of a time making it past the desk without causing a lot of confusion." Oh, let's go up the outside, says Don, as he begins, you know, shimmying up a uh, drain pipe on the uh-huh. outside. Uh, apparently even, you know, better than, than Hank at this. Uh, what's wrong, big brother? I thought uh, swimming was the only thing that I could do better than you. Okay, okay, says Hank. Uh, so heights still shake me up a little. Big deal. Now shut up and keep climbing. Well, that I would have thought would have gone away, given that he's a bird now. He shouldn't be afraid of heights. Yeah, really, especially a hawk, right? A hawk right. can high, fly higher than a dove. All right, so we continue now with uh, Chapter 3, The Birds Fly. Uh, what's been happening at the hospital, asked our narration, as the boys were racing the clock? Well, as you might have guessed, you know, snick. <laughs> the gangster's gun makes a wolverine sound. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he shoots the guard. He's finished. Now nothing stands in our way. Nothing, comes voices from off panel. You seem to have forgotten all about us. Uh, but you never even knew about us, did you? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, Hawk and Dove come around the corner, you know, in their, their garish garb. What? <laughs> says the gangsters. Who are these guys? Oh, my God. Uh, what does it matter who we are? Says uh, Hawk. Uh, the main thing is we're going to stop you. Come on, Dove. You're a crime fighter now. So do your thing. Fight crime. Shoot them. Say the gangsters. Kill them. Nobody's going to stop us now. Uh, we see, uh, you know, Hawk go to town, you know, fists ablaze, whereas Dove is kind of like, puts up his little fist, but he's like all kind of like shaking. <laughs> Almost offensive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the harshness bordering on base cruelty, uh, the Hawk wades into the hoods with everything he's got. You know, he grasps his fist together and kind of like gives him a, a pile driver. Uh, so you're playing a little murder, were you? Well then, I'm going to see to it that your punishment fits your crime. Oh, no, you don't, he says as, you know, another gangster comes lunging at him and, you know, Hawk gives him a kick. Nobody's going to shoot me in the back. You lousy cowards are all alike. Not enough guts to fight fair. But if that's the way you want it, okay, you won't get any mercy from me. I'm going to play this game the same way you're playing it. As, uh, you know, Hawk just goes into berserker rage and starts, you know, pummeling people left and right. Uh, Meanwhile, though, the dove fights with restraint. As you say, defensively almost, right? Mm -hmm. Dudes are swinging punches at him and he's doing like, you know, clever little jujitsu, you know, dodges or whatever. Uh, You boys are being fools. You never should have come in here. Uh, If we don't stop you, the law will catch up with you in the end anyway. So why don't you just, he says, as a dude like clocks him in the head from behind (laughs) and immediately, you know, like punches him right in the face. Oh, the window, say the gangsters. Before he shakes it off, shove him out. Whoa. (laughs) Wow. So indeed they do. They push him right out the window. And before the reluctant crime fighter can even regain his balance, yeah, he says, falling down. Um, But, uh, you know, in, you know, typical Spider-Man fashion, Mm -hmm. right? He sees, you know, on his descent, a a little pole sticking out. And he's like, that pole, if I can. And indeed he does. He reaches out, grabs it, and, you know, does a little, like, swing around it. Whew, says Dove, made it. I thought it was a goner for sure. 
But I gotta get back up there. Hank can't handle those hoods alone. If only we'd call the police. Oh, but it's too late for that now. We've gotta save Dad. Uh, meanwhile, though, the hard-at-work Hawk has finally noticed his partner's absence. Where is he? Says Hawk, you know, still punching out the gangsters. Just like him to run and hide somewhere. I got my hands full. No time to worry about him, though. Uh, good, says one of the, thinks one of the gangsters. Adults too busy to even notice me. Now I can finish off the judge and be gone before this do-gooder knows what's happened. Uh, but though the Hawk hasn't seen him, uh, who has? Uh, Mr. Dove climbing through the window. Mm. Look out! That guy with the gun! He's heading for fi- I mean, the judge's room! <laughs> Good cover, Don. Uh, head him off! Don't let him... Uh, as, uh, once again, a gangster clocks him in the head. I think he uh, likes that. <laughs> no good, thinks Dove. Hank didn't even hear me. He's too wrapped up in his work. Uh, I've got to take care of this myself, he says. You know, stand up. Get out of my way, he says, you know, pushing a gangster off to the side. Uh, got past them easy enough. Didn't have to resort to violence. Uh, but now I've got to get in there, Fast. And he says, you know, go into his dad's room. This has to work. I won't be getting any second chance. Huh? Says, uh, you know, the gangster with the gun on, trained on the judge spinning around. And, uh, you know, as Dove makes a leap for him, you know, the gangster, I guess, tries to get off that shot, you know, and, and assassinate him. Uh, but Dove, I guess, you know, hits his arm and, and knocks the gun just, you know, a millimeter to, to the left. Mm-hmm. Whew, that was close, thinks Dove. Too close. Was, uh, you can't hold me, punk, says the the gangster. I'll massacre you, and then I'll get back to the judge. Don't be a fool, says Don. Give up. It won't help you or Dargo to kill the judge. Um, but, uh, you know, his brother, you know, at this point jumps in the room. He's like, what are you waltzing with this guy for? This is the way you handle his kind, as he slugs him right across the, the chin. Uh, watch me, and maybe you'll learn something for once. Oh, you didn't have to do that, says Dove. I could have held him. You're worse than a witless barbarian. Oh, well, that's that, says uh, Hank, you know, as uh, I guess he knocked out the, the gangster. Looks like we saved your hide, Judge. Uh, yes, you sure did, says the Judge, and I want to thank you both. However, no need to thank us, sir, says, uh, you know, <laughs> Hawk interrupting. Uh, fighting crime is how we get our kicks. Uh, let's go, Dove. Time to cut this scene. Oh, wait, says the Judge. You haven't even told me your names. Just cause the Hawk and the Dove, says uh, Hawk. It's up to you to guess which is which. Uh, hurry, big mouth, you know, whispers Don. Uh, we better make our exit before our transformation starts. <laughs> I forgot about that. Um, but apparently uh, <laughs> Mr. Ditko didn't, um, because as we turn our page, uh, no sooner do the brothers slip out the back door than we see the, uh, you know, shimmering green light. Mm-hmm. It started, says Hank. As uh, now we see, you know, their costumes sort of like receding, you know, like, you know, turning back into, you know, Don's blue suit and, you know, Hank's red sweater vest. Uh, as, uh, next panel, they're back to normal. Huh, well, that's over, says Hank. Uh, come on, let's go see Dad. See what he's got to say about the hawk and the dove. Yeah, says Don. For once, I agree with you. Maybe we should tell Dad that we're the hawk and the dove. Um, tell him we want to keep it secret. He'll understand. As, uh, you know, they're bantering down the hallway. We see some voices coming out of the room. Uh, as, uh, oh, the, the cop. Uh, Judge, is there anything you'd like to say about the mysterious uh, hawk and dove who saved your life just moments ago? Uh, yes, there is, says the judge. I truly appreciate what those two did for me. But I cannot condone their actions. In this day and age, there can be no place for vigilante tactics. Private citizens, no matter how honorable their intentions are, cannot be allowed to take the law into their own hands. Even hardened criminals are guaranteed due process of law. I suggest that the two who call themselves the Hawk and the Doves turn themselves over to the authorities. I don't believe it, says Don outside. Uh, He thinks we're no better than common criminals. Mm. We saved his life and this is the thanks we get from our own father? Well, there goes your idea about telling him, says Hank. I'll bet he'd turn us in if he even found out we were the ones. Yeah, well, as far as I'm concerned, says Don, that does it. 
I never wanted to get into this crime-fighting bag anyway. Uh, the dove, that stupid name, that ridiculous costume, who needs it? Uh, Dad's been a judge so long, he's beginning to think like a, a law book, says Hank. Uh, with their abilities, the hawk and the dove could do a lot of good. Why can't Dad see that? It's so obvious to me, you know that. Yeah, says Don, well count me out. If you want to fight crime, go on ahead, but don't expect me to join you. If you ask me, crime fighting's a big waste of time, especially when you end up being labeled a social outcast. What's wrong with you, says Hank? Can't you even take a little failure? You could do a lot of good with your power. You can't just let it go to waste. Ugh, you're always running away, aren't you? You run away from everything, especially a good fight. Even with your new powers, you're still a coward. But we didn't save Dad by running away, did we? Ah, uh, shut up, says Don. Just leave me alone, will you? You can't beat up on everyone you disagree with. Get lost. As, uh, you know, we trail off into uh, the end, but then we got a uh, sort of, um, I guess, uh, what would you call that? Like, you know, a four-panel repeat. It, it kind of like, yeah. you know, an, it, the, the image echoes as uh, their narration says, uh, This, then, is our story, a tale of two boys who are a world apart, too young to fully comprehend the emotions that separate them, aware of their unique abilities, and frustrated by their father's reaction to the hawk and the dove. Shall we write Finney to the hawk and the dove? Have their careers ended before they really got started? Is this the end? Not on your life. The hawk and the dove <laughs> appear in their own magazine on sale June 25th, which uh, is actually kind of odd given that this is Showcase magazine, which is supposed to be like a tryout thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. they, they already knew. And, uh, and to that effect, I would like to just uh, pause a moment and, uh, and cut across to the, uh, the text page, you know, you know, in lieu of letters page or whatever. This, I believe, is uh, written by, you know, Mr. Dick Giordano. Mm -hmm. It was a little uh, at the top, you know. I recognize his face now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the little caricature, right, we'd previously seen in Strange Adventures. Um, I think, you know, Dick is a very, uh, you know, jovial fellow or whatever, just trying to make a, you know, a, a connection here with the readers. And, uh, and to that effect, he's written a little article called Court is in Session. Um, so uh, let me go ahead and read this. It says, according to Webster's Dictionary, the hawk is defined as a bird of prey that hunts its victims in the manner termed raking, uh, pursuing it swiftly and following its most abrupt turns and dodges. The very sound of the word conjures up visions of a fearful creature possessing strength, agility, and the capacity for violence. On the other hand, Mr. Webster defines a dove as a calm, passive bird regarded as pure and gentle. The dove has long been employed by mankind as a universal symbol of peace, and specifically, Christian symbolism has made use of the dove as an emblem of the Holy Spirit. The contrasts in the inherent characteristics of these two birds are, of course, obvious. Of late, the working press has taken to utilizing this contrast to illustrate a stand taken by public figures. Hence, a person who defends our rights to be in Vietnam favors continuous bombing of the North, and in general desires to win the war by aggressive military action, is characterized by the press as a hawk. Conversely, the person who sues, sues, is that what this says? Who sues for a negotiated peace, I guess so, uh, demands withdrawal from the U.S. forces from Vietnam, and in general favors compromising to attain peace, is referred to as a dove. Uh, the use of the terms hawk and dove to describe an individual's basic attitude has spread to areas outside of politics and or international affairs. Important people in finance, education, the law, and the military have discovered that the press and the public at large has extended its use of these terms to include them. This, then, was the basis, the foundation, for our newest entry into the comics field, the hawk and the dove. Uh, the hawk, Hank Hall, aggressive, impatient with elements outside the law, eager to mete out justice by using force to combat force. 
The dove, Don Hall, is restrained, passive, and dedicated to the premise that good exists in all men, and that compromise is the surest road to peace. Uh, this magazine is the finished product built upon the above foundation. It represents the end result of the combined efforts of some very talented people, among them Steve Ditko, fan favorite, who handled the <laughs> ironically, <laughs> right? Who handled the art chores and made several valuable suggestions <laughs> to Steve Skeets, <laughs> like, "Hey, Steve, scrap what you've written and use mine. <laughs> do, do this." <laughs> Uh, impressive newcomer to DC uh, writer ranks. Both contributed a good deal of sweat and a few drops of blood to the concept and birth of the series. Uh, because of their faith in the basic premise, it was a labor of love. It was a challenge that proved to be both difficult and rewarding. Uh, difficult because of the effort expended, uh, rewarding when the task was completed and the last results could be viewed. Frankly, we like the Hawk and the Dove, says Dick. Uh, so much so that before its initial showcase appearance became a fact, it had already been scheduled for its own book, the first issue of which will be on sale June 25th. Uh, we can only hope that our readers will like it as well as we do. Uh, which brings us to our point, uh, letters, uh, specifically your letters of comment, which uh, can help us shape the, uh, the destiny of Hawk and Dove. Uh, only through your letters can uh, we open the only direct line of communication available between you, the reader, writer, artist, and blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, go down National Periodicals, mm -hmm. um, 575 Lexington, da, 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 da. Um, so, yeah, long story short, you know, I think um, the collaboration, I guess, between, you know, Giordano, Skeets, you know, Ditko, and, and Infantino, basically, they're probably sitting there in the conference room and it's like, you know what? This is like, you know, torn from today's headlines. This is going to yeah. be a big seller or whatever. That's Let's what like, I was thinking. Yeah, yeah, push it right out there. Um, for our show, like I say, you know, I, I, I wanted to, you know, address this story because, you know, from our historical perspective, if we are going to be, you know, progressing through the 60s, you know, we have to address the, the issues that were out there. Sure. This best fit that mold. Um, but then additionally, you know, you might be questioning, you know, where's the magic in this? Okay. So long story short, the voice, you know, that was behind them giving, giving their powers. Um, I'll give you a little bit of preview. And, you know, like I say, this will not become germane until we reach the 90s. Um, but it is like a voice of, um, one of the, uh, the Lords of Order, you know, so similar to Dr. Fate, mm -hmm. you know, what powers him, um, basically, you know, these two, in a sense, represent the opposite, uh, the opposing sides of order and chaos, mm -hmm. right? And they're receiving their powers at the behest of that. So that's why long-term this will play out, you know, into magic. Um, I think going forward, I, I don't know that we're going to read any, you know, individual Hawk and Dove stories. Good. Uh, we might see their their story sort of um, you know dovetail a little bit <laughs> dovetail uh. <laughs> uh, a little bit into uh, the Teen Titans, but uh, you know we'll we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Um, for now, uh, what I would like to do is uh, you know turn the floor over to you um, for your your thoughts. What uh, what did you think about our uh, our magically infused you know brotherly duo Hawk and Dove? Um, so I can definitely see why they got their own book. You know, like, I understand, like, the, the creators thinking that, like, this was going to take off. Yeah. But, um, I think that, uh, Steve Skeets, if, if maybe if he had stayed with it and had been given more free reign, that it could have been something that appealed to the kids at the time. To the kids at the time. Yeah, absolutely. Like, so, as we had said before, you know, he was definitely, you know, the, the more liberal of the two and, and probably, you know, like I say, you know, could have tapped into that, you know, probably more in the way that, that Marvel had been doing. Um, but DC, you know, he wasn't having any of that. You know, it was still, you know, at, at the highest levels run by a bunch of old men. You mm -hmm. know, I think uh, yeah. you're going to see actually... I don't know when we're going to do this, you know, a few episodes out or whatever. Um, I've mentioned the character um, 
brother power, the, the, geek. the, the geek, exactly. Yeah. Um, that really is a, a sort of like, you know, um, you know, hippie type Anti-hippie vibe or whatever, or... and immediately shut down. They said, uh, you know what, this is, uh, this is not going to fly. <laughs> you know, like it was basically Mort Weisinger, you know, was saying, um, that he, he thought it was like a, a drug influence type thing, you know, whatever. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, I just had no idea. But, uh, but, you know, we'll cover that all later. Um, back to, uh, to Hawk and Dove. Um, so you're right, you know, like, like I say, you know, it, it probably could have been a bigger hit. Um, wasn't because of the more conservative attitudes. Um, but what about the story itself? You know, what do you think about the writing, the art, so on and so forth? Okay, so the writing, it was uh, by far the most verbose comic that I've ever seen. Um and it was it was heavy-handed yeah. i would say yeah so you know going back to what we were saying you know at the beginning or whatever ditko and and you know his like desire i guess to just espouse his political views or whatever mm-hmm. like so you think this was wordy and verbose or whatever like don't ever read any mr a <laughs> like <laughs> like literally it is just like pages of text with a tiny little image like in the corner or whatever. <laughs> so and and heavy-handed yeah absolutely so you know we had said before how, you know, uh, the judge, basically, you know, their, their father. He was the wordiest of all. Well, so I think basically he's a cipher, you know, for Ditko, right? You know, the, the judge saying, you know, there is right and there is wrong and you are a criminal and you are going to jail forever and blah, 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 blah. And like his sons who are displaying kind of like almost like more complex ideas in, in a sense. I mean, they are polarized, you know, one's peace, one's war, whatever. But they're like, well, I think we should discuss it. Or He's like, no, no, you boys are both wrong. He's like, you know, it's yeah. just like... You know, and he doesn't get into his ideas of why the boys are wrong anyway. And, of course, like, this is another time that it was heavy-handed, like, that they were just saying that the boys are too young to know what they're talking about anyway. Yeah, there was that. I, yeah, I think yeah. that's right. Oh, they're just in high school or whatever, you know. Right. But, but they look like they're old enough to be in college, to be they honest. They did, <laughs> yeah. So what um, what do you think about uh, Ditko's artwork? You know, it's... Uh... It seemed like it was, um, because it was so wordy, it seemed like the art was second place. And that was a little... Um, to me, I mean, I don't have a lot of exposure, but I have some now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just seemed that for a comic book that the art should have been more important. Yeah. I'm not, um, you know, there's a lot of people who, you know, cite Ditko as uh, such a great artist. I don't necessarily know that I agree. Maybe, maybe maybe I don't have as cultured an eye because I haven't read so much Marvel stuff. Like, I've never read any of that, you know, Doctor Strange and just like my exposure to Ditko era Spider-Man is really quite limited or whatever. But every time I see it, I don't know, it looks kind of, like, stiff. It's very, like, you know, up and down type thing. I would agree. Um, You know who he actually reminds me of a little bit is... um, this artist um, who he's still around or whatever, but I think you know had his peak in the uh, in the eighties and nineties by the name of uh, Daniel Klaus. He um, he wrote um, Ghost World. Do you remember that with um, you know Scarlett Johansson? Yeah, yeah. There was a, they made a movie out of it a while ago, Scarlett Johansson. And um, but uh, but yeah, Daniel Klaus tends to do a lot of you know kind of like. Uh, uh, indie, uh, you know, underground, and, and Ditko kind of like it, I think you know has that that same sort of like you know haggard faces and like you know drawn mm. and like emotionally wrought type people, you mm-hmm. know, that type of thing. Um, let's see. So it's art writing. Um, what did you think about uh, what do you think about the characters themselves? You know, um, you know, Hawk versus Dove. What's the, uh... Hawk just seemed like an angry guy. He didn't really seem to have like much depth to him. Mm-hmm. And Dove, I just I, I wanted him to have like more depth. And and he just he he didn't really either. Yeah. So I guess like overall, I I have to I have to kill it. You know. <laughs> you have to kill two birds <laughs> with one stone. <laughs> with... <laughs> That's good. <laughs> really title for the episode <laughs> episode forty six with one stone. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, all right. So, uh, yeah, it's an unfortunate. Um, like I say, I don't know necessarily that we're going to loop around any of their solo series or whatever, but I, I think we might we might take a look at a little bit of them in the Teen Titans. We'll see what happens when we get there. Um, for the time being, um, we're going to continue on a teen wave, though. Um, the next two weeks are actually going to be on a teen superhero team. Uh, my all-time favorite, the Legion of Superheroes. Ooh. Yeah, we finally got to the point where uh, magic is going to become more uh, prominent in their tale. There is a, a, a big wizard-type character, you know, Mordru, that you will uh, ah. get to meet. Okay. So, uh, so, yeah, I look forward to that. Um, in the interim, I think uh, we'll just go ahead and wrap this one up if you have anything else. Uh, no, I'm good. Yeah, just, uh, I think we should uh, review our contact information. Um, first things first, you know, if you enjoyed this episode and would like to find any others like it, uh, you can do so on our website, which is... TPORpodcast.com. Exactly. Um, you can write to us, uh, provide your feedback, your helpful hints or, you know, uh, criticisms at our uh, email address, which is... TPORpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter... At TPORpodcast. Or Facebook. TPOR podcast slash. <laughs> Did I get it wrong? Yeah, let's roll it back. Okay. <laughs> or on Facebook, which is www.facebook.com backslash. TPOR podcast. Exactly. Yay. Uh, so you can subscribe to us at uh, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Podcastpedia, uh, what else? Google Play, you know, any podcatcher of your choice. Um, you can leave us reviews on any of those things. You know, five stars over on iTunes is always a, a nice, you know, gift to, to the parliament. Yes. You know, bump us up in the ratings. Uh, let's see. Is that everything? What else we got? Uh, I don't know. I think our Tumblr account is still alive out there somewhere. <laughs> Make posts on that <laughs> Hopefully in a year. Hopefully auto posts. <laughs> but, yeah. So, uh, but with that in mind, you know, as always, we hope you had a good time. And we hope to see you here next time on the Parliament of Rooks podcast. Thanks, everybody. Yes, it's true, I am a young man But I'm old enough to kill I don't want to kill nobody But I must if you so will And if I raise my hand in question You just say that I'm a fool Cause I got the gall to ask you Can you maybe change the rules? Can you stand and call me upstart? What answer can I find? I ain't saying I'm a genius. Two plus two is on my mind. Two plus two is on my mind.
Two plus two is a man.